I just have to finish my thought in Romans 8. Um, if you would, would you turn there? The last part of that chapter, this prayer that we just prayed, love come to life, love come to life, love come to life inside of me. Do you realize that we were praying that? We weren't just singing, singing along, we were praying that. In fact, that's what, that's what worship is. It's directed toward God. And um, very often we... We um, forget the fact that we're not just making music. We are here to honor God. Um, we're not just making noise. We're here to honor God. And, and uh, that's, the, that's the purpose of our gathering together. It's the purpose of our being a people. It's to honor God. Um, the, it, it's interesting to me that um, there in verse 29, for, for whom he foreknow, knew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. He speaks in the past tense as if it's already happened, right? Because it is a certainty. This is God's intention for us as his people. And this love that we sang about is truly a supernatural love. It's not a love that we can manufacture in and of ourselves. It's interesting that, that um, Pat prayed this prayer that to some may sound um, nonsensical. Lord, help us love those that we hate. What? But that's indeed what Jesus calls us to do, right? He calls us to love even our enemies. And the only way that that can happen is if the, the very um, divine love, the love of God itself is planted within us. It's a, it's a, it's a, I would say it's a transplant, but it's a transformation. It's not just the acquisition of love. It's a complete transformation of who we are. And this is what God does for us. Look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered to be sheep to, uh, to be slaughtered. But in all these things, in all these things, that's everything up in verse 35, we are overwhelmingly conquerors through him who, loves, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a glorious truth that, that is uh, written on the hands and the heart of God himself as he looks upon us 
And it is a truth that we can certainly uh, acquire and take to ourselves as, as the gift of God. But it is also something that God even calls us to enter into that we might propagate, that we might share with others. That last song we sang, sang talked about giving the love of God even to those who are unlovely. So when we find ourselves in this place of, of, uh, of distress or trouble, tribulation, maybe we find ourselves even persecuted by those who say they hate us. What shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Not only are we loved by God, but we, we have the opportunity and the glorious gift of being able to express the love of God. That's a head scratcher, isn't it? But it's the truth of walking deeply in the Lord. He is able to transform us even into his image, conforming us to his image. Well, that's not where we're going to be tonight. We're going to be in the Psalms. Just uh, the worship um, kind of gives us opportunity to, to go deeper uh, in the truths of God. And, and I, I have to say, some of us uh, may find it um, uh, inviting to enter into to, um, uh, even a style of worship that may be uncomfortable to others. But the truth of God the, the opportunity to approach the Lord and set our eyes on him is really what it's all about. Um, and, and that's the discipline of worship. So we're in Psalm 20 tonight. And I, I, I hope we can at least skate through Psalm 21 as well because they are related. Um, in fact, some would say that, that 21 is a continuation of uh, Psalm 20. They are both liturgy, if you will. Um, how many of you grew up in, in a church where liturgy was practiced? Any of you? Yeah, a few of us. We call liturgical, liturgical traditions are those which have, have uh, writings that the congregation uh, participates in reading. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's antiphonal, sometimes it's call and response, sometimes it's simply the, the uh, opportunity to read scripture together to honor the Lord intentionally together by reading. And it is a, it is a, it's a long-standing tradition. It's, part, it's been part of, of um, Christian worship for centuries. It's been part of uh, Jewish uh, uh, practice in worship for centuries way beyond that as well. And we have a good example here. Now, um, the, the liturgy is used in a variety of different ways. And here we see a, an example, uh, perhaps, of how liturgy was used in the life of Israel as they began to or entered into uh, 
conflict or war. Um, how many of you know that, that war is just a part of life in the Middle East today, right? Many people grow up and they don't know anything different because there's a perpetual conflict going on even today. Well, the same was true even when this was written. Israel had enemies all around it. And, and um, this, was, this was part of their life. It's interesting as well that um, normally when we think of going to war, we think of um, the armed services and our government and, and joining together in that. And it's a, it's a great big effort uh, on the part of a nation. Uh, it includes, however, uh, very distinct individuals. It impacts us on an individual level. I'm curious how many in this room have had uh, someone in your family or perhaps yourself serving in the armed forces of the United States. See, look at that. It's a lot of us. We've been touched by this. And, and in the very same way, Israel was touched very personally by this. So this liturgy very, uh, very likely was used as, a, as something that was um, used as a part of sending out the king and those who were uh, trained as warriors into, into the battlefield. Um, it's interesting as well to note that today we live in what we know as a democracy, right? And a democracy is, is where, quote unquote, the people rule. The vote matters. But Israel lived in a theocracy. A theocracy. And what does that mean? It means that God rules. God is the ultimate authority. And not, not the vote, not, not the people like we experience here today in our country. Um, now, let me clarify. Many of us would say, wait a second. We believe that God, God directs our path because he's sovereign. Absolutely. We believe that as the people of God. But we live in a culture that does not believe that and does not practice that. But... Um, Israel lived in a culture where God was given, given honor as the one and only ruler of the people. And so um, here we see uh, this, this connection between the people and their king and God. God rules, but he empowers the ruler who is the king who represents the people. And so in this psalm, uh, we, we have a liturgy. And it's interesting because on the one hand, it may, it may sound like a prayer to um, a, a prayer of blessing upon, upon warriors going out to war, but it was meant to take place in a place of worship or a sanctuary, if you will. Because, again, 
Israel was a theocracy. And it's all about God's work among them, God's work through them. And, and so um, that's why this is written the way it is. It's written for the choir director again. Yeah, I like that. A Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. Selah. What does Selah mean? It means pause. Yeah. It also can mean uh, perhaps a, a musical interlude. We had a guitar solo tonight, didn't we? And that's a Selah in the course of our modern worship. It's a pause. It's an interlude. Um, it's not meant to draw attention to the player. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's meant to give us an opportunity to reflect on what we just said. Verse 4, may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill your counsel. We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Lord, may the king answer us in the day we call. Notice the king in that last verse is capitalized. Who does that title belong to? It belongs to God, doesn't it? He is the only one who can save. Now let's go back up to, to verse one. Um, this, this section, verses one through five, uh, could be considered intercession. Um, intercession is a, uh, a word that we use to um, describe people praying for others. We intercede for, for others. We approach the Lord on behalf of someone else. And that's what's happening here. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it needs to be said here as well that the way this is written, it could be uh, considered just well wishes for these guys who are going out to the battlefield. But it's not. It's not just well wishes. It's, it's offered as a prayer uh, to the Lord. May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. May the Lord answer you. The word answer there presumes a call has been or a request has been made. Um, that's the normal thing for anyone who walks with the Lord to have this constant conversation going on. 
between them. And, and the shortest prayer ever prayed in, in, recorded in scripture is what? Lord, help. Yeah, Lord help. That's, that's, that's the, 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 just the uprising of a heart that is already turned toward, toward the Lord. It's a conversation, a call that goes out even automatically. Um, who has 2 Samuel 22, verse 4? We're going to stand up and read again like we did last week. 3 and 4, go ahead. Read loudly for us, Libby. All right. Amen. There's, there's that prelude there of those words, I call upon the Lord. That whole prelude that she just read um, is the reason we call upon the Lord. He is, he is our stronghold. He is our faithful rock, the one that we can stand upon with assurance. And so we, we call upon him. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 3. One through three, sorry. I'm targeting verse three, just so you know. Yeah, amen. Again, that call is pre preluded by the worthiness of God to receive that call. Romans 10, verses 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding riches to all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. That's a glorious truth that could not be spoken before the work of Jesus Christ. This is open to all who call upon the name of the Lord. He is the, 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 the object of the working out of the giver of salvation to anyone who calls upon his name. Now, uh, we read... May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. This is assuming that the answer is yes. But what are the possibilities? Just so you know, I, again, here in this, in this passage, that assumption that the Lord will answer in the affirmative is, is uh, well-founded because he does desire to deliver us from our enemies. But as we pray day to day, we ask for direction, we ask for uh, this, we ask for that. And we need to be aware that there are 
at least two other answers that the Lord could deliver to us. It's not always yes. Sometimes he says no. And we need to be satisfied with that. Sometimes he says, not yet. Or wait a while. And we need to be satisfied with that as well. The bottom line is that the, the heart that, that yields to the Lord that calls upon his name is resting in the Lord's provision, whatever that is. And that may include, as we, as we uh, read throughout the New Testament, even suffering for the believer. We know that, that God is still at work and has not abandoned those who call upon his name and his answer is wait a while or stay in that just for a little while. You're in this really hot place. But what happens if you take the bread out too early, out of that oven, out of that hot place? It falls. And we don't want it. We want, the Lord wants his work to be completed in us. And yes, sometimes he uses tribulation. Sometimes he uses hardship in our lives to shape us in his image. Now, let's go back. Answer, uh, the answer assumes the, uh, the affirmative, but it also assumes action. It's not just a yes. It is a move to action. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Wow. Whose words are those? They come from the mouth of Jesus himself. They are there in Matthew 7. Matthew 7 is part of, of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the largest collection of his core uh, teaching. And some would say that it's the pinnacle of Scripture because it, it it bears the mark of this gathering of, of uh, the words of Christ himself that mark out our life. And what we find here is that, that Jesus is saying, hey, you need to ask, and God, God's going to answer you. Knock, and it will be open to you. Seek, and you will find. And guess what? You're not going to get bad news. You're not going to get something that is, that is not helpful to you. The Lord's going to deliver good things to you. That's his promise. Those are the words of Jesus, our Lord. So in the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, you know, the day of trouble is going to come. 
Some of us um, operate along this view that life should be good all the time, right? And when it's not, we think that somehow we've, we've, we've just gotten the shaft, you know? But, but the Apostle Peter's pretty clear. Don't be, don't be surprised to find yourself in this suffering place. Matthew 5, verses 43 to 45. A little louder. Yeah, yeah. The rain falls on everybody, doesn't it? We can expect that there's going to be trouble in our lives. And, and um, we don't need to be distressed that it's there. The good news is that he will rescue us. He will rescue. Um, Psalm 50 Verses, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Amen. Psalm 91, verse 15. No takers? Okay. Uh, let's go on. Psalm 107, verses 4 through 7. Yes, amen. And 107, verse 10 through 14, a continuation. Amen. Amen. I love the, the fact that toward the end of that section, the word out shows up about three or four times. And God's, God's good at doing that. In the midst of trouble, he saves us out of it. That is his promise. His promise is not that we won't have trouble, but that he will rescue us from it or in it. Now let's go on. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Who is Jacob? Who in the world is Jacob? We know, right? Abraham, Isaac, J Jacob, and Esau. And Jacob is the one who is renamed later Israel. Now, it's really interesting that Jacob was also mischievous, wasn't he? Uh, he, uh, 
he, the, the, his, work, his name, I believe, I, some may correct me on this, but, but uh, it, it is associated anyway with the word, word heel catcher. And he is the one who, who is the, the second born of Jacob and Esau, but he, in his mischievousness, and not just mischievousness, his deviousness, stole the blessing of the firstborn from his brother. Now, this is the guy we are, we are fashioning our faith after? Yes. But it's, it's Jacob number two. It's not Jacob number one. It's Jacob after he is renamed, wrestling with the Lord, and it's there that we see him find himself in this place of surrender to God. And it's that faith that we, we, uh, we, we revel in. Now, he, it's, it's interesting here as well that Jacob then inherits the birthright of his brother as the firstborn and becomes the lineage through which the Savior comes. He is part of that lineage. And it's, it's interesting that God chooses him even in spite of that deviousness. To me, that's encouraging because his choice rests upon us as well. We are chosen. We are his beloved. And in that, he reverses all of that stupidity of our past. You know, he, he, he reverses that in such a way that he transforms us from the inside out. Now, the name of the God of Jacob speaks of identity and authority and power. Just like we would say, in the name of so-and-so, I, I come. In the name of so-and-so, I tell you this, as if that person is telling us. So in the, the name of the God of Jacob means the full authority and power of that. May he then set you securely on high. What in the world does that mean? Somebody read Psalm 9, verses 7 to 9. The Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples of equity. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. It's interesting, that idea of the Lord being the stronghold in distress in a time of trouble is also connected to the context of judgment. It's really uh, important to understand that the Lord himself is our deliverance from judgment. As his people, we stand in the righteousness of Christ it is not our own righteousness that we stand in. And that becomes our stronghold, our high place. 
And, and when we, the, the idea of high place means absolutely a secure place of defense. A secure place of defense from accusation, from, from enemies that would come against us. It is a secure place. Um, that is our stronghold. Let's go on. Verse 2, you're thinking, we're never going to get through this psalm, are we? <laughs> May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. From the sanctuary. How many were here this weekend? Okay. We talked about a sanctuary, did we not? The Holy of Holies. And what? Uh, whose residence is the Holy of Holies? God's. And because it's his residence, it means he's at home, right? He's present. This speaks of the presence of God, the sanctuary, um, the, the presence of God, and his holy mountain. It's interesting here. Uh, Psalm 3, verses 3 through 4. He answered me from his holy mountain, because that's that place where he lives. Psalm 15, 1 through 5. It's interesting. It's the entire psalm. Wow, that's quite a list, isn't it? Who in the world in this room can live up to that list? Jesus can. Absolutely. And he's here. You're right. He's in this room. The truth is that none of us can, can claim to be righteous in and of ourselves. None of us can ascend that holy hill. None of us can, can be at home in that holy mountain except those who bear the righteousness of Christ himself. They are the ones who find support from Zion. And Zion is that, that, that imagery of God's holy place, his holy hill, his holy city. Let's go to verse 3. May, you, may he remember all your meal offerings and your burnt offerings, uh, offering and and find your burnt offering acceptable. Uh, the meal offering is a, is a curious thought. What is a meal offering? Well, a meal offering is uh, that which honestly could be consumed as a meal, right? And what is that? Many, some would say it's, it's, it's in line with or part of, could be considered part of the... the uh, the offering of first fruits. It, it, it is, a, it is a, uh, a meal of that, or a, an offering of that which we need to sustain ourselves. And it says, Lord, you are my sustenance. 
You are the one that, that, that I depend upon. I give you my best. I give you my first. It belongs to you. Um, then this burnt offering. What is a burnt offering? Well, a burnt offering is that which is consumed by fire. And, and that which is consumed by fire is, is the imagery there is judgment. And our judgment of guilt, our judgment of sin is taken away in that type of offering. We talked about Selah before. The word Selah, again, simply means to pause, to breathe, to reflect. And, and so at this point, the choir may sit down or, or there is a pause in, in this um, liturgy. Verse four, may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill your counsel. Psalm 21, verse two. Oh, I don't have that one given away because it's right on the next page. Psalm 21, verse two. You have given him his heart's desire. And you have not withheld the request of his lips. That's the, the desire. That's the gift of God himself. Uh, the request of his lips. It's interesting that Jesus says that it's from the heart that the mouth speaks. Somebody reads Matthew chapter 15, 16 through 20 for us. So if those things that are obviously sinful defile because they come out of our mouth, emanating from our hearts, the, 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 uh, the heart's desire here is um, the call to, be, to, to speak good, to speak blessing, to, to be involved in, in, in a, uh, the process of seeking after the Lord's best intention for us. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your counsel. Uh, may he cause your, your um, advice to bear good fruit. May he uh, deliver uh, good, good results from your counsel. Um, Verse five, we will sing for joy over your victory and the name of your God, of our God, we will set up our banners. May, may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Um, petitions, what in the world are petitions? Hmm? 
requests. You're right. They are requests. They are what we bring to the Lord. But the word petition also includes the idea that we come, we come to, um, we, we come not simply saying, hey, God, would you, would, would you think about doing this for me? Because I'm your buddy. I, you know, we're good friends, you know. And, and would you think about doing this for me? No, the word petition has the sense of we are, we are bringing this before royalty. We are bringing this before um, uh, great authority. And, and this, that's truly who God is, right? Um, um, that petition is interesting because it's also related to our counsel. Because the counsel that we give should also be that which pleases God, that which um, delivers his blessing. Let's go to verse six. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. There's a shift here in the, in the psalm. We've had, we've had petition uh, up to this point. May the Lord grant you this. May the Lord give you this. And now we have this shift. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed and he will answer him from his holy heaven. This is the statement of faith. This is the statement of faith that follows the petition. This is a good pattern for us in, in, in thinking about bringing our requests before the Lord because the statement of faith is um, something that the Lord delights in. He is a rewarder of those who walk in faith. Who is his anointed? Who is his anointed? The king, right? The king is his anointed. But who does the king represent? The king represents the people. Who has 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Amen. Read again the very first part. You are a chosen. Yeah. All of those, those three, those three designations. The fourth one is kind of a reiteration of the last one, but it, uh, that, that, uh, that royal priesthood, it, what, how does a priest become a priest? How does a royal become a royal? But through the anointing of God himself. And, and that's what we have here. Um, let's go on. Uh, verse, uh, may, well, let's see. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Where does God live? He lives in heaven. It's his presence where the answer comes from. His right hand speaks of righteousness, of justice and blessing. Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. 
Warfare is a reality. And it is important that we understand that, that there is this real piece of practical preparation. But there must be spiritual preparation that accompanies that. It's not just the chariots, it's not just the horses, it's not just the practical that is going to deliver God's people. Rather, it is the marriage of that preparation with the spiritual preparation and the strength of the Lord himself. It's interesting, throughout scripture we often see um, the Lord actually paring down the army. Paring down the army, saying, you know, you don't need that many people. Get rid of them. Get rid of that many. That's, oh, that's enough. That, no, that's still too many. Let's narrow it down. Why does he do that? Because the, the big deal with God is that he wants to show his arm to be strong, not the arm of humanity, not the arm of, of, of his, even his servants. He wants his arm to be shown to be strong. And that is... That is um, that is reflected here as well. Uh, last scripture, Micah 7, 7 through 10. This is for verse 8. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Yeah, the picture there is that though we may be, uh, m though we may be spit smitten, God is God's business is resurrection, isn't it? And that's the glory of the New Testament. That's the glory of the gospel. That though though we come to the end of ourselves, though we are crucified even with Christ, it is He who lives within us. We experience His resurrection power. That is the glory of that truth for us today. And finally, verse 9, Save, O Lord, may the King answer us in the day we call. There is only salvation in the Lord. The word King is capitalized there. It belongs to the, to the Lord himself. He is the King of kings. He is the one who brings salvation. And he is the one who will answer us when we call upon him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for um, the, the glory of your word and that it speaks to us. Even this ancient verse that, that was uh, uh, perhaps uh, sung or, or recited by your people in days of ancient times, it, it, it speaks to us today. And we thank you, Lord, that it, what it means for us is that you are faithful then, you are faithful now. 
and you will always be faithful to perform your word according to your good pleasure. Lord, we yield ourselves to you and we thank you that, that the reason we can count on this is where we started tonight in Romans 8, because you love us. You love us unconditionally. And that love is demonstrated in Jesus who gave himself for us. We celebrate, we thank you, we give you praise for that truth. Lord, continue to move among us this week. I pray that you would reveal yourself in greater and greater measure, even to each one in this room, as they walk from this place into tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you.